I'm Damian Bolwa. Today on Fifth Admission, my guests are two members of the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, the quote, leading order of queer and trans nuns who have been bringing their unique brand of ministry to San Franciscans for more than 40 years now. Dressed in habits and fabulous makeup, the drag group formed in 1979. And during the early days of the AIDS crisis, members cared for people who were often cast aside by society while advocating for safer sex. Today, they have chapters around the world and continue to fight bigotry while skewering the intolerant. Earlier this month, the sisters were thrust into the national spotlight when the Los Angeles Dodgers first invited and then disinvited them from appearing at the team's 10th annual LGBTQ Pride Night set for June 16th. The group was supposed to receive a community award, but the Dodgers caved to pressure from conservatives, including Florida Republican Senator Marco Rubio, who said the group, quote, features men dressed like Catholic nuns who mock the faith with the motto, go forth and sin some more. Then came the final twist. After other groups pulled out of the Dodgers event, including the Los Angeles LGBTQ Center and the ACLU of Southern California, the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence were re-invited. And in the spirit of forgiveness, they accepted. Here to talk about this episode are Mary Media, an original member of the Sisters, and Guard Who, the group's master of the archives. Welcome to Fifth and Mission. Nice to be here, Damien. Thank you. Thank you for having us. First, I have to ask, as a Giants fan, we have been hearing a lot about whether the Dodgers should be associating with the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, but why are the Sisters associating with the Dodgers? Great question. <laughs> because visibility visibility is important. And you overlook like small transgressions, like being the Dodgers, and in order to further larger goals. And you do have a Los Angeles chapter. We do. It was the Los Angeles sisters who were invited. We started here in San Francisco, and we now have houses in about 80 cities in the United States and Canada and in 12 other countries. All right. For listeners, that's Mary Media speaking there. Can you walk us through this series of events and how you reacted? Let's start with the Dodgers disinviting the sisters. What happened? There is a, an LGBT Pride Night, which is often, you know, the case with sports teams. The sisters were set to receive an award, but there was a different kind of activism that brought their view on what we do to the Dodgers, and the Dodgers buckled to that criticism that you laid out, that we mock Catholic nuns, that we mock people of faith, and the sisters were disinvited to the ceremony and the award was rescinded. Then, as is often the case with people who come for the sisters, the community let the Dodgers know that they were wrong and that we are beloved <laughs> for many reasons. And, you know, to their credit, the Dodgers, you know, took the criticism in stride, if slowly, and after considerable backlash, you know, re-invited the sisters. And being an order of forgiveness, the LA House accepted. Now, the, the interesting thing to me about this story is just the amount of unity from other groups once the invitation was rescinded. You know, we saw immediately groups saying, 
if the sisters aren't going, we're not going. If you don't want the sisters there, you don't want us there. And I think that that speaks to the greater unity and good that we try to do, but also, you know, how people come together in support of each other in the queer community when an injustice happens. All right, Mary Media, in California, we sometimes feel insulated from the culture wars, particularly in the Bay Area, you know, and in San Francisco. What does this episode demonstrate about perhaps how insulated we really are? We see what we are doing as uh, good works that are based in, you know, great religious principles. But other people in other parts of the country look at the the outer symbols of what we're doing and don't take a look at the work that we do. We're on the other side of the cultural war that's going on in this country. You know, the attacks on LGBT people that are being waged in other parts of the country, particularly the South, I would say. But yeah, we're kind of insulated from it. And, and that's, that's to the good. We have lots of support here. I think the sisters are reflective of our communities and people get that. Come to Easter in Dolores Park and see, you know, uh, community in action, basically. Let's fully answer that question. I mean, there are the opponents here, the ones that objected, called you a, quote, anti-Catholic bigotry group. Why does the group use the trappings of Catholicism for your ministry? I think that we better and live more true to the, I'll use your word, trappings of Catholicism, because we don't insult the intelligence or the humanity or deny the humanity of the people who would align with us. You know, we say go forth and sin some more because that's what people do. People come and seek forgiveness for the wrongs that they have done and try to do better, but they fail. We don't deny that people will, after confession, go forth and sin some more. So we encourage them to do it because we are anti-shame. We are anti-fear. We don't want people to think that, you know, their absolution comes with a promise of perfection to follow because that's not how life works. People come to us and they want joy and their life to be affirmed and their choices to be seen as valid and, you know, not evil. <laughs> and a lot of people in our community didn't get that from church or from, you know, the leaders in whatever denomination or faith they choose to follow. So especially during the AIDS crisis, people would come to us when they were being you know, excommunicated, kicked out of their churches simply for being who they were or because of a diagnosis or because of how they dressed. Rejected and by their families. Exactly. And they would, they would come to us and look for a human response. It may be dressed up as a Catholic nun or a nun of whatever faith you follow, but it's really based in humanity. We'll have more with the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence on Fifth and Mission after a quick break. You're listening to Fifth and Mission. You can support the newsroom that creates this podcast by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app.
Welcome back to Fifth and Mission. I'm Damian Bullwood, joined by Mary Media and Guard Who of the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. Mary Media, you're one of the original members of the order. It started in San Francisco in 1979. Can you talk about those early days? Why were the sisters founded and how have you evolved over the years? To correct something that has been going around, we were not founded as a response to the AIDS crisis. AIDS didn't even have a name yet. And there was no awareness of it in 1979 when we were founded. We were founded partly for a lot of fun, to have fun, partly to just express, yeah, in a drag sort of way, like here's a different way of being gay. We were a group of people who did not fetishize masculinity, which was what was going on in the community at the time. We The day of the Castro clone. Yeah, the day of the Castro clone, exactly. So we were a group of people who did not fit into that. And so we tried to present something, a, an alternative vision of queer spirit, of what being gay could be. And it also was an opportunity for us to respond to a lot of the religious attacks that were going on at that time on the gay community. People were coming into the Castro and proselytizing and having uh, revival meetings in the Castro, telling us that we had to, had to repent. And we responded to that and used religious trappings to kind of get across the message that you don't have a monopoly on religion and on being and leading a good spiritual life. And gradually the social service aspect was added to what we were doing because clearly people were paying attention to us. And, and so what could we do to make use of that attention? A lot of our early work is some of the first work in response to the AIDS crisis. Even before we knew what AIDS or GRID was, HIV, we held a fundraiser for the Carpathia Sarcoma Foundation because that is what was first attached to, you know, the gay cancer. And of course, there's the Playfair packet that we put out, which was the first, you know, for the community, by the community packet on safer sex practices, which we then, you know, disseminated when SFDPH and, and other people around the country were not willing to have a humane and human response and show people how they could still be intimate and express their love without a purely abstinence and fear-based model. The message at the time was not, you shouldn't be doing these things. That's why you're getting disease, which is a lot of what the messaging was from public health departments and, and from like, forget the church. I mean, they should, they had all kinds of reasons why we shouldn't be doing it. We knew that, you know, people are not going to stop having you know, sexual expression. So that's why our, the title of our pamphlet was Play Fair. You know, treat your, treat your partners with respect and with care, not don't have partners. But all these years later, we find ourselves at a, at a historic moment where the, there are conservative forces in this country that are trying to use LGBTQ rights as a wedge issue. And, and drag culture has been increasingly under attack in particular. Why do you think that we find ourselves in this position now? Partly it's the visibility. There is a kind of ubiquity to queer expression that, 
and I think it challenges like what people grew up with. Maybe there's fear that they just don't want to take the time to know. It's like people who attack the sisters for being anti-Catholic instead of looking at what we actually do. I think it's being leveraged by um, politicians for political gain. And I, I think it is a very dangerous moment. They're demonizing people and they're creating fear and they're, you know, posturing that they are the response, they are the answer to uh, and the defender against people like us. Well, let me ask it this way. How do you see the purpose of drag and how do you see that today being misconstrued? Well, I think there's a lot of purposes like gender is, you know, there's a universe of gender a constellation, a galaxy of gender expressions. And I think drag points, points that out. And I think drag, you know, has fun with it. So you have people like Darcy Drollinger, our drag laureate of San Francisco, who knows how to entertain people, knows how to put on a good show, and just does a brilliant job of bringing a queer perspective to, to our culture, you know. Here, look at it through this filter. I think that's what drag does. It kind of says, you know, set aside your normal filter and look at what's around us through this queer filter. And that's what the sisters have always tried to do. So question for you, Guard Who, I mean, given all of this, I mean, what was your initial reaction to the Dodgers' decision to, to disinvite? Are, are you surprised or not surprised when you hear something like that? I wasn't surprised. I don't think that whenever there's a corporate interest involved, that bravery is what we should expect. However, I will applaud them for coming to their senses and realizing that they were wrong. There, that is not something that I expect either when there are corporate interests involved. So, you know, I can still wag my finger and clap with the other hand, which is what I'm choosing to do. But I think that it's admirable, and I wish that more organizations would take the time to do that kind of introspection and analysis and take in opinions and advice from not just the loudest voice in the room once they've misstepped. And I think that that's because of people like the sisters and like Darcy, who just so happens to be one of our saints, the highest honor that we provide to a civilian <laughs> doing the work in the community. And, you know, that the Dodgers were open to hearing the feedback and changing course and that they did it quickly is something, you know, to be recognized. So overall, is there a lesson in this? And are you optimistic given the political moment that we're in? I'm always optimistic. I think that there's always an opportunity for growth and change to be had. And I think that it comes from having these conversations in public, out loud, them being messy. And then once a result you know, reveals itself, either accepting it or passionately fighting it in the open. You know, this was messy. It was not a good look for the Dodgers, but they made up for it. And, you know, I've said over and over, I think that that's admirable. And I, I think that it shows what the future can be. You know, they very easily could have dug in their heels. They could have canceled the night. They could have, you know, found any number of people to, you know, cross the proverbial <laughs> line and show up and be 
whatever they needed them to be to save face, but they didn't. They owned the mistake, said, we don't want to align with these other people who, you know, fed us bad information. And we're going to go back to what we originally knew to be right and are affirming that it's right. So I think that that, even though it did not look so good, you know, as it was happening on the timeline, the end result is where we want to be. And in fact, that messiness actually paves the way for other people to say, you know what, I can change my mind and it can be okay. I can be loud and wrong and then be even louder and right and keep pushing forward. We do inhabit kind of a bubble here in California and people are going to try to penetrate and, and you know, puncture that bubble. And so there's, there's a need to remain vigilant, but there's a need to, you know, just recognize our strengths and recognize that people will, if, you know, cooler minds prevail, will probably end up doing the right thing, we hope. Thanks to my guests today. They are Mary Media and Guard Who of the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. Thanks to King Kaufman for producing this episode and Gary Baca for engineering. And thank you for listening. <laughs>